If you have your scriptures, I will encourage you to look in, the, in your Bibles at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the first book immediately after the Gospels. And we're going to look in chapter 11. I'll be teaching out of chapter 11 towards the end. I've been preaching uh, this, or I'll be preaching this month about how, as individuals, when we're out in the community, how we can tell others who we are and what we are, what we are about and who we are as individuals. And what we have found out is that uh, our community out there has changed drastically. We know that. And typically, when they used to ask us, who are you? What do you used to say? Presbyterian. And almost 90% of the people that you spoke with knew what the Presbyterian church was about. Today, we have a different situation. They ask you, do you go to a church? And you say, yes, I go to the Presbyterian church. And the next thing they ask you is, are you guys Christians? I've had that question asked. And, and of course, my reply in jest is, dear, we practically invented it. <laughs> we practically made this up <laughs> with Jesus. Okay? So, so people don't really like to, to talk about institutions these days. The younger folks. Not you, you grew up in an institutional world. But if I'm addressing a younger crowd, they don't give a hoot for the institution. Yeah. Uh, so the institution is not the thing. It's what are you about? That's what people want to find out. What are you about? And in answering that question, we have decided, and actually this is not my invention. This is coming from the Office of Theological Education of our denomination. I just expanded it a little bit more and made it more practical for us. Because they say that instead of us pre presenting or projecting ourselves as institution, we can project ourselves in a relational way and tell, who are you? Instead of answering Presbyterians, what can we say? We are, we are people of grace. Can we repeat that? We are people of grace. Others are Baptists. Okay. We are people of grace. We are people of grace and forgiveness. We are people of grace and change, which is what we'll be talking about today. We are people of grace and opportunity and ultimately and really, we are people of grace and gratitude, which we will finish this month's teaching. Now, before I continue our teaching, I've got to give you a little background on what was happening before I read the story. By the time we get to chapter 11 in the book of Acts, we have a mess. We have a mess in the church. We have a situation in the early church where uh, uh, some people believe that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to become a Jew and then follow Jesus. We have another group of the church that believes that if you want, that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have to abandon every past religion you had and adopt something totally and absolutely brand new. And you have this situation happening, and, and there are, but the church is expanding. And that's why whenever the church expands, whenever the church grows, situations happen. And you know why situations happen? Because you and I are involved. If it was only God, it would be okay. But sincerely, because you and I are involved, situations happen in the church. By this time, you may recall that Stephen had already been murdered by Saul, later called Paul. And that murder or martyrdom of Stephen 
caused the church in Jerusalem to flee. There was a persecution headed by Paul or Saul, and the church split out of Jerusalem, except for the twelve that remained, as Scripture tells us, in the city. In chapter 9, we have the conversion of Paul, but Paul kind of disappears out of the scene because Barnabas sends him out, and he had to send him out. Because if you are a persecutor of a group, and suddenly you show up as the friend of the enemy, who's going to believe you? Think about it. Osama bin Laden would have come to the NSA to give us some secrets. Uh-huh. Doesn't happen that way. So there was already suspicion on Paul, and Paul needed to get out, and Barnabas helped him to get out. Peter and John had gone already to Samaria because Philip had gone to Samaria to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. How dare he go preach to those half-breeds? Yeah, that's how they were called by the Jews, half-breeds. And Philip went over there, and the Spirit manifested itself in Samaria, and Peter and John had to go and check out the situation. And it checked out okay. But the believers are running away, and they are running to all sorts of places away from Jerusalem because the, even the Jews are persecuting them. Peter, while he's in Joppa, he gets the experience of, of seeing the mantle that comes down with all sorts of food that he as a good Jew is not supposed to even touch or eat, including the Piggly Wiggly, which we love so much. But he was not supposed to, and God eat, told him to eat. And in that experience, he goes to Cornelius' house. And in Cornelius' house, who is a Gentile, that Peter is not even supposed to set foot in that house, unclean house of unclean people, the Spirit of God moves in such a way that converts and changes hearts and changes lives. And Peter kind of realizes, oh, this is not only for us now. This is for the Gentiles. And likewise, during the persecution, Peter now, who has gone to, to, to Cornelius' house, at the beginning of chapter 11, right where we're about to get there, Peter has to defend his actions before the 12 in Jerusalem. Peter had to defend before the 11, because he was one of the 12. Peter had to defend his actions of going into Cornelius' house, preaching the gospel, and guess what he used? They wouldn't believe him, because the law and tradition was bigger then what was happening? Six witnesses were with him. And six witnesses testified to the reality that God's grace is now being poured on the hearts of the Gentiles. And this is where we catch our story. This is where we catch our story. Where Peter has defended his actions before, because the belief persists that Christianity was only for the Jews. And if anyone else became a Christian, they must become a Jew also. But the church was expanding Remember the call for Jesus said, and go to all, and, and preach in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to where? The uttermost parts of the world. That is what's happening here. And when God's grace is being poured out, when God's grace is moving, it's because God's grace is active and not passive. Listen to and for the word of God as we read the passage in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those 
who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus, Cyrene, and Antioch, had begun to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached to the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged and told them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. So for a year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called for the first time Christians. During this time, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This, however, happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each one was able, that was able, decided to provide help for those brothers and sisters who were experiencing the famine in Judea. So they put their gifts together and they sent the elders, Barnabas and Saul, to Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. It is amazing that in this period when the church is experiencing such tumult, we even hear of a Saul who's in Tarsus. Actually, some uh, commentaries believe that between verse 18 and verse 19 that we begin to read, there may have been a period between 7 to 10 years that took place. 7 to 10 years. We tend to read the book of Acts like if it was something that was happening on a daily occasion. It was not. The book of Acts actually describes the history of the church through a period of over 40 to 50 years after Jesus resurrected. Some say shorter, but that's the average time it covers. So between verses 18 and 19, a lot of things have happened. Paul had already converted. He may have gone already to Arabia and come back, and now he's sitting down or he's teaching in, 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 in Tarsus where he is from. Barnabas had already been in Jerusalem with the twelve, received Paul, but he was very well known in the church in Jerusalem and highly respected. Actually, Barnabas was the uncle of a young man who wrote one of the Gospels called John Mark. And if you continue to read uh, chapter 12, you will catch up with John Mark as he is hanging around with Uncle Barnabas. But you see, the most important thing that we find in the text is that the church, that the grace of God is an active grace. Grace is not a concept that's just there up in the air. It's not a concept that just floats in the air and gives you a certain feeling. Grace is the action of God. So grace is an active thing that makes things change. Grace always makes things change. Grace always makes things change. 
Look back 50 years, those of you who are perhaps older than 50 years. I was five years old, so I don't remember. But though, I have to start back there, because I have a population that's back there. Otis can't go that back. But you see, some of us can go back 50 years. Was God's grace involved in your life? If you think very carefully, God's grace was active in your life. You may have not known it. You may have not recognized it. You may have not seen it, smelled it, or felt it. But God's grace was active in your life way back then. You see, because God's grace is active and God's grace changes the world. It brings water and food to the just and to the unjust. It protects the world from utter destruction and the full manifestation of evil. If we think things are bad right now, can you imagine if all of us were unrestrained from our desires of evil and we just went berserk? It would be bad. Grace of God, which is called by the theologians common grace, it holds the consequences of our rebellion. It holds the world and rejects God for idols. That's what it does. You see, the grace of God gives life. The grace of God gives healing. It provides comfort to the hurting and lonely. It provides knowledge to the one who is thirsty for knowledge. It is active before we even showed up. God was active in our lives before we even showed up. We see that in our missional class of Engage, that one of the things that we should do during our, our, um, our, our mission as we're out there in the world is to look for where God is active in people's life. Because God is active in a lot of people's lives. God is active and well in a lot of people's lives. And God wants to do things in people's lives. God loves us enough to show us God's grace, but God loves us more by not living us the same as the cliche would say. God's love, God's grace is active in the world in that it is active when, when, before we even show up to God. God loved us first. So God's grace has brought changes and goodness to our lives and to the world in general. Would you agree? Okay. Second point. God's grace is active and changes our communities. When God's grace arrived to the mission field, and we have these missional examples, and, and, and I realized there was a, a village in the Caribbean that people used to fix their issues uh, with their favorite mode of, of reconciliation or problem solving. It was called a machete. And for many, many decades in this village in the Caribbean, people would fix problems with a machete. You know how? Cutting each other's limbs. It sounds like the Hatfield and the McCoys. The famous thing, you know, but it changes communities. Suddenly one missionary dared to go in there with his own machete. So the people would respect him. And he began to preach the gospel. He began to preach about forgiveness. He began to preach about reconciliation. He began to preach about unity. He began to preach about the value of being united versus the, this value and disgrace of being splattered and divided. And the community began to change. Sixty years ago, there was not one church in that entire community. When my father-in-law passed away, the whole town was paralyzed. He, he was the one that went there to preach the gospel of peace, unity, and love. And the whole town was paralyzed. The mayor declared it a a day of memorial, I think, not a holiday, I don't know. But everybody was there. It was July the 5th, the day of my birthday. And I was walking with a 
parasol. You know what a parasol is? An umbrella doesn't hold the water back, but holds the sun back. Remember those? A parasol. And I'm walking down the parasol in the field when I realized there were thousands of people waving white handkerchiefs as my father-in-law's coffin went by. He started the one church 60 years ago. Today, that community in the Caribbean has over 17 churches. And it's a beautiful testimony to what the grace of God can do when it comes to a community. Stories after that can be repeated for centuries and centuries. And that is what's happening in our text. Now the Jewish community from Jerusalem has been spread out and is going out to other places of the world. And some are only speaking to the Jews, to their kind, but others are a little bit daring and perhaps more uh, 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 riskier and decided to preach to the Greeks. And notice the text says they don't preach about Messiah because Messiah is a Jewish concept. They preach about the Lord, Kyrios Okurios, the Lord. Which, by the way, got them in problem later on. Because that was supposed to be Caesar only. But you see, God's grace is active. And God's grace can transform communities. Just look at us. Just look at us and tell me if God's grace has not transformed our little three communities when we became one. Oh, we were scared. Were you? There was a lot of suspicion. There's less now. (laughs) There was a lot of tribulations. There's more now. (laughs) But we have seen what God has done through God's grace. We have received in this just last few months over 10, 15 new disciples. We've had communicants. We've had children. I know there's two baptisms coming up the drain. And guess what? God's grace has transformed our community. But not only does God's grace transform our our world, not only does God's grace is active enough to change and transform our communities, but God's grace for, and most importantly, is here and is pouring our hearts to change precisely our hearts, our ways, our thoughts, our passions, our words. You see, God's grace is here to pour in our hearts because it is God's grace that changes us. And what happened in the text when the, when the believers uh, b- began to grow and Peter and Paul were teaching and the prophet came and told them, hey, there's going to be a famine. They said, oh, screw them. We have our food. No. There, which is what would have happened because the, the other ones were Jews who were rejecting them. Come on. It's not un, un, unheard of to reject those who reject you, right? It's very common. Actually, it is the first thought. Vengeance, vengeance. But yet, the grace of God had done something amazing, as verse 23 tells us. And Barnabas saw what the grace of God had done, that he got excited and he needed help. So he went out and looked for, Tars, for, for Paul, for Saul over in Tarsus, brought him over. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul built the church. Building the church talks about numbers. But it talks about the influence in that community that they were able to put their gifts together. And during a time of need in, 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 a need in the Judean church, they went ahead and they were able to give the gifts and help the Judean church. The love 
and grace of God brings changes to such a degree that we even change and we love others as God has loved us. And we begin to see others like God sees them with a potential that God has for them. Amazing story. You know, this is how Paul gets to Jerusalem. After the first time he was there, did they got scared? It was probably seven to ten years after he got back. And it's how he comes to Jerusalem. From here is where Paul is sent to the so-called first missionary journey. But Paul had already been a missionary in Antioch with Barnabas. And with many other preachers, with many other believers who share the gospel with the Greeks. Who share the gospels with who knows what. The Kurds, is that who they are now? They know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard about it. So God's grace is powerful to change. And I see very quickly some observations. In the first few verses, 19 through 21, we see God changing the city using people. God changing Antioch. God changing the people of Antioch. So the Antioch of Syria would be a place where the gospel would shine. We also see that God's grace brings changes to the communities, churches. But we need to be able to accept the changes that comes with God's grace. Because if you resist God's grace, God will have grace on you. Yes. God's not going to smite you. Come on. You'll, you'll just be un unhappy. You'll just be miserable sitting there criticizing everything if you don't see what God is doing. You'll be out of the loop. But you will be loved. Now, the question is, is God using you to bring change to our church? Or are you a stumbling block to God's changing grace? Are you, is God using you to bring change to your family? Oh, I'm speaking to both, to everybody, all generations here. Is God using you to bring change through God's grace to your family, to your relationships? Because God is wanting to do it with his community. As we go now to Red Top Mountain next Saturday, we will be praying for the community. We will be praying for the schools, for the hospitals. We will be praying particularly for those people around us that have received the gospel. And by the way, remember Project Philip? We have received up to 20 responses already. People wanting to know about Jesus Christ and about how to have a satisfying light of hope in their lives. Well, the past may have its place and value like in the, in the traditions of the Jewish. God's grace always seeks new paths, new ways, new hearts that would follow Jesus. Because God's grace is active. You see, the gospel, uh, Paul reminds us in Colossians 1.6 that, that, that through the gospel, he's the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is, it is hearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. You see, the gospel changes lives. It just doesn't make people comfortable and brings them to church. That's not the idea. The gospel does not make people to come to church. The gospel should make people to go out of the church and go preach and make ministry out there. That's what the powerful grace of God should be doing. Not keeping you in the four walls comfortable and criticizing everything out there. It's God's grace still changing you. Or have you given up on that? Is God's grace still changing you? 
Some of us resist. Some of us run away. Some of us avoid it. But guess what? God's grace still chases after you. And God's grace has not given up on you. The poet, the British poet said it, Hound of heaven, hound of heaven, hound me now. Hound of heaven, follow me. Catch me to thy feet and thy throne. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace is not just another thing that comes in and out. An idea that just floats and it's just there ethereal. But it is something that we can experience. Something that will change our lives. If we open our hearts to the pouring love of your grace. Give us the strength, oh God, to die to the stuff that we need to die to. Give us the strength, oh God, to pick up on the things that we need to pick up and do in our community. So that your grace can do amazing things through your spirit. Amen and amen.